Greetings in the name of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This devotional is titled, No In-Between Program. No In-Between Program. God has two major programs in redemptive history, one being Israel and the other being the church. These two programs, as seen in Romans 11, do not essentially overlap. When God is working essentially with Israel, he is not building the church. And when he is building the church, he is not essentially advancing his prophetic program with Israel. For the time being, Israel is broken off, quote-unquote broken off, while God is building his church. Compare Romans 11:19 through 22. When God shifted from working with Israel to building the church, he did so rapidly within a 50-day period of time, Acts 1 and 2. When the church is complete, he will then shift back and resume slash complete his program with Israel. Compare Romans 11, 25 through 29. There is no in-between program presented in the scripture. There was no large gap between Israel and the start of the church, and there is no reason to think that there will be a large gap between the completion of the church and the resumption of his program with Israel. Consistently, the prophetic scriptures present God's resumption of his program with Israel as immediately following the church age. If there is a gap, we are not told about it, and consequently, just like the 50-day gap related to the start of the church age, if there is such a gap, it is presumably neither notable nor long in duration. Note the progressive flow of Paul's thought in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, we have the rapture of the church presented. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 5, the day of the Lord, in which Israel is central, is presented. In 1 Thessalonians 5, the transition word but translates the Greek prepositional phrase peridae. Paul commonly uses this phrase to introduce a new subject, as seen repeatedly in 1 Corinthians. Thematically, the rapture emphasis of 1 Thessalonians 4 is immediately followed by the theme of the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 5. This is the order of things, and it is presented as distinct and yet closely related. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, Paul shows that the day of the Lord cannot come until two things are first in place. We read there, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The two things that must first be in place are, one, the departure or falling away takes place first, and two, the man of sin is revealed. Daniel 9, 27, the, the signing of the seven-year covenant. Many questions have been raised about the timing of the war of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Some place this war prior to the day of the Lord. However, Paul, under inspiration, doesn't mention it as a major prophetic marker that must precede the day of the Lord. That is interesting, because when you study Ezekiel 38 and 39, this is one of the greatest of all last days events, which has worldwide ramifications. It would surely seem to be a marker, a major marker, to be noted if it is to happen prior to the day of the Lord. But Paul does not mention it. Now, admittedly, this is an argument from silence. But the fact that Paul does not name it as a pre-day-of-the-Lord marker is notable. My conviction is that Gog and Magog takes place within the day of the Lord, 
and corresponds to Jesus' words in Matthew 24, 7, where nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And again, in Revelation 6, 2, when the second seal is broken, peace is taken from the earth with a great sword. And yet again, in Daniel 11, 40-45, in conjunction with the career of Antichrist. Also, Gog and Magog, within the day of the Lord, fits well with the fact that the day of the Lord comes with no forewarning as a thief in the night. Gog and Magog must take place after Israel signs a covenant with Antichrist because Ezekiel 39.22 says that after this event, the house, of the, the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. That reality will not be in place prior to Israel first embracing Antichrist and learning the hard way that he is not their Savior and that he cannot be trusted. Compare John 5.43. It is very significant that Paul has only two stated major markers that must be in place before the coming of the day of the Lord. How should the phrase falling away be understood? It is important because it must come first before the day of the Lord. This must be in place first. The Greek word translated falling away is literally apostasia. It is actually made up of two Greek words combined into one. The word consists of apo, meaning away from, and status, meaning standing. So quite literally, this word apostasia means standing away from. So Paul says the standing away from must happen first. But the question remains, what does this standing away from refer to? The word apostasy is found only two times in the New Testament, here in 2 Thessalonians 2.3 and again in Acts 21.21. 21. The challenge is that apostasia has two legitimate meanings, and hence has been, there has been much discussion as to how it should be understood here in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. The primary meaning is apostasy, in the sense of religious defection away from God's truth. This is how it is used in Acts 21.21, where Paul was charged with forsaking, that is, apostatizing or defecting away from the law of Moses. That is one legitimate meaning, and in fact the Septuagint in the Septuagint, this is the primary meaning. So, one view sees apostasia as a major defection from the faith prior to the day of the Lord. However, the word apostasia can have another meaning. It can simply mean departure as one would leave from one place to go to another. Some scholars, therefore, say that the apostasia in view here means departure and has in view the rapture, departure of the church. Tim LaHaye writes, The first seven translations of the English Bible translated it as departure. No one knows why the translators of the King James Version rendered it falling away or why others translated rebellion. A case can be made that all, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that all seven of the earliest translations of the English Bible were right in rendering it departure, which could mean physical departure or rapture. End of quote. Apostasia as departure or departing. In 1384, the Wycliffe Bible, departure first. 1526, Tyndale Bible, departure first. 1535, Coverdale Bible, departure first. 1539, Cranmer Bible, departure first. 1576, Breaches Bible, departing first. 1583, Beza Bible, departing first. 1608, Geneva Bible, departing first. 1611, King James Bible, a falling away first.
Apostasy viewed as the departure in context may essentially apply to the Holy Spirit. Paul typically develops his thought and builds on what he is saying. We may have that here. In verse 7, Paul speaks of the restrainer who will be taken out of the way. I take this to be the Holy Spirit. So it is possible to equate the departure in verse 3 with the restrainer who is taken out of the way in verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 2.3, the falling away, departure, comes first. 2 Thessalonians 2.7, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and he will depart at the rapture in a kind of reversal of Pentecost. And of course, as a byproduct of this removal, the church will also be removed as well because the church is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now the Spirit is God, and as such he is omnipresent. So we are, what we are talking about is his departure in the sense of his specialized ministry that functioned during the church age, especially in relation to him being a restraining agent in and through the church. After the rapture, the Spirit will still be in the world convicting people of sin just as he did in the Old Testament times prior to the day of Pentecost. However, his restraining ministry through the church at this point will have been removed. Before the day of the Lord comes in earnest, two things must first be in place. One, the departure of the Spirit and his restraining ministry through the church must take place. Two, the results. The result will be the Antichrist being revealed as seen in the signing of the seven-year covenant with Israel. These are the only two things standing in the way of the day of the Lord coming into place. Presumably, with the restrainer being removed, the man of sin will rapidly take his place because then nothing is holding him back. There is no in-between period presented. As soon as the departure takes place, this man of sin will move into that vacuum. Perhaps today, live ready, Maranatha. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign over all of these things. We thank you for the church and the role it plays in the world. But Lord, once the church is removed, we really don't see anything in between the Antichrist coming on the scene. There's nothing presented. The rapture first and then the day of the Lord comes, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. Uh, here in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, we see only two things standing in the way of the day of the Lord uh, coming into play. And one of them is not Gog and Magog. So, Lord, we thank you for your truth. Help us to grow in grace as we study and help us to live ready. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.